welcome back to The Pew, everybody. I am your host, John Edwards, and I'm excited to bring to you another bonus episode of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been following us and keeping up with us, you know that every once in a while we take a break from the regular show and we have on one of our favorite uh, Catholic presenters or evangelists, and today is no different. I'm super excited to be uh, joined by my friend Matt Frad. Here in a second, uh, I'm going to bring him up, but first I want to tell you a little bit about him. Matt Frad is the creator and host of the Pints with Aquinas podcast. He's the author and co-author of several books, including Does God Exist and The Porn Myth. He is also the creator of Strive, a 21-day detox for porn. He earned his undergraduate and graduate degrees in philosophy from Holy Apostles College and Seminary, which also awarded him an honorary doctorate. He and his wife, Cameron, live in Steubenville, Ohio with their four kids. And as a side note, he is also my favorite Australian behind uh, Mel Gibson, Paul Hogan, uh, Steve Irwin, and the guy who plays Thor. So <laughs> without further ado, I want to bring up my really good friend, Matt Pratt. Matt, it's so good to have you. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> you got it, mate. Thanks for having dude. me. Yeah, dude. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show a while back. I mean, it's just been such a blessing. And I can't tell you how many people come up to me now and call me Stone Cold Steve Austin as soon as they see me. So <laughs> thank you for that gift. It gives me permission to wear my wrestling gear out everywhere in public now. So, so thank you for yeah, that. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, buddy, I'm so glad to have you on. So many people have asked me to, you know, once they figured out we were friends and knew each other, uh, to have you on, you know, with our podcast, it's really centered towards uh, just helping men get through the everyday struggles in their life. So one of the things I want to talk to you today, obviously, about is porn. You've done a lot of work uh, with that in the church and with men and women around the world. So, But first, before we get started on that, I, I really wanted to just kind of let you talk a little bit about yourself. You know, oftentimes people are used to seeing you interview all these great people on Pints with Aquinas, and, and a lot of your episodes are, are based on you know, what they've done and who they are and what they're working in. But I just really want people to get a chance to know, you know, who you are a little bit and how you got started with all of this. Okay. Well, I suppose the first thing people do when they talk about themselves is say where they're from. So I'm from a small country town in South Australia called Port Pirie. It's about 16,000 people, but unlike a lot of American towns, it wasn't one that just bled into the one next to it. There were out, there was hours of farmland that sort of surrounded it until the next city. So it was kind of a small country town to grow up in. Um, I got a brother and a sister. Um, I met my American wife doing Net Ministries, which is a ministry in which people travel throughout a particular country and run... Uh, retreats in high schools. So I met my wife working, ministering in Ireland. We got married in 2006. We've lived in several different countries, but we have four <laughs> beautiful kids. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. We, Pints with Aquinas started pre-Trump, which is the podcast I run for those who aren't aware, uh, back in 2015 or something. So yeah, let me know if you want to know more about that. But uh, that's that's basically <laughs> what I do now. Like uh, most human beings, I have a podcast, and it's good pints with Aquinas. <laughs> well, and it's one of the most popular ones in the church. I mean, you've I saw today on Facebook. I think you hit one hundred eighty thousand subscribers. So that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think when you started this? I know you worked for Catholic Answers and and various other things along the way. But did you ever think like I'm going to be a YouTube 
sensation, if you will, with 180,000 uh, you know followers and just the impact you're having on the church right now? Uh, yeah, okay. So it's a weird thing to try to process. Like in one sense, um, you know, like success is always relative and elusive. So mm -hmm. you probably know this for yourself. Like you start a YouTube channel and you're like, I'd be surprised if 10 people subscribed. Oh my gosh, I've got 10 people. <laughs> And you think to yourself, imagine if I could get a hundred, you know, that'd be amazing. And then you get a hundred and you think, oh, that's incredible. Imagine if I could get, you know what I mean? So yeah. in a way, like, like feeling like, oh, that, wow, this is it. Um, it's sort of very elusive, but at the same time, I think it is appropriate to sometimes sit back and say, wow, what a, what a real blessing, you know, like, uh, I feel like the Lord's hand has been in this somewhat and I hope that he makes up for my deficiencies and. It's helpful to sit back and go, wow, praise God, this is really great. Uh, just uh, on Friday, I got an, an Instagram message from a fellow who was in jail for five years doing um, Antifa riots, uh, maybe wow. you know, prior to the more regular things. And he was an atheist, and he said that Pines of Aquinas has since helped him become uh, to join RCIA. And I think it's this Christmas, he'll be becoming Catholic with his son. Wow. <clears throat> so occasionally you hear things like that. You're like, Oh, glory to Jesus Christ. That's, that's powerful. And I know you, I'm sure you have stories like that as well. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's, it, it is those nice kind of, it's like almost a hug from God when you get one of those things, right? Cause what I don't think people understand when you're doing this, when you're in ministry or you've got a platform like this, just how much time you spend, wondering like am i what is what i'm doing helping people is what i'm doing making an impact is it making a difference am i following god's will in my life you know the right way and and all those things and so it just it is such a relief or, or such a blessing to hear something like that because you know all right god's doing something with this this isn't just me in the corner of my room wondering if i'm doing the right thing or not this is actually something he wants and he's blessing yeah, and then to realize in the midst of all this that he wants you more than he wants to use you. And yeah. so, um, you know, however, in whatever ways he chooses to use us as a blessing, but never to lose sight of the fact that he wants me. He wants a relationship with me. He wants yeah. to reveal his kindness to me. He wants me to shut my senses to the external world, as it were, and pursue him above all things. And, you know, that's, that's tough. Like, it's tough because it, um, it's not as immediately rewarding as setting out a video and saying something you feel like needs to be said and getting some immediate feedback. And that's all very good, you know. But I yeah. think, uh, you know, there's always a temptation there to forsake the, the interior spiritual journey for the kind of external periphery thing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And it's something I think, you know, I'm sure you've probably come across this too. <clears throat> but, you know, you can, when you, when you have a platform again or, or you're out in front of people, there can be um, a thought process by a lot of people to think, well, this person has it all figured out, right? He's got the answers. He's the one up here helping everybody. But I, I think it can get lost about how we're still broken individuals, right? And we still have our own issues and our own things we're dealing with. And that's where that vulnerability you and I have talked so much privately about, you know, comes comes into play. Is it, One thing I love about you is you don't, you don't hide that you've had issues in your life or that you've had struggles or you don't pretend to, to appear as if you have everything figured out. And I think there's something real and authentic about that. And I think it's something that draws people to you and, and to anyone who sits up there, because there is, I've been the guy at a conference, you know, before I got into this and you look up there and you see somebody, you know, giving an amazing talk or sharing something that might've, you know, 
they've learned in their life. And you're thinking, man, this guy must have come out of the womb with like a Bible and just, you know, an yeah. amazing relationship with God. But that isn't the case, right? And, and I mean, so how do you, how have you dealt with and, that and, in your life? Well, yeah, yeah, not not only like uh, that, but even today, like right, like we're 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 all sort of journeying and struggling and repenting and striving and falling down and getting back up too. Like, because I remember um, feeling really discouraged when I was trying to implement some simple prayer rule for my young family. I think it was mm. to pray the rosary every day or something. And I remember finding myself so frustrated because like people weren't paying attention or I was, I wasn't allowing them basically to be like a three-year-old or something, you know? And I had these, like these ideas in my head that the Han kids, you know, uh, or Jason (laughs) Everett's family were all sort of levitating or kneeling on glass that had been (laughs) smashed prior to the rosary or something. And uh, it's an exaggeration, but like at least that they were all sitting being very attentive. And and it's like, it's nice in in some ways to realize like actually you're not special. Like these these struggles that you have with with purity or with marriage or with intimacy within marriage or trying to develop friendships with other men or your own sort of self-esteem, if that's a thing we can use anymore. People say you shouldn't have esteem in yourself. That's probably true. But your own confidence, you know, your own sure. these sorts of things. Like these are all we all we're all kind of dealing with it at the same time. So that's it's kind of nice to realize you're not special, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, his fatherhood. I mean, I know you got the four beautiful kids, and his fatherhood been a struggle. I mean, I know it is for all of us, but I mean, you just mentioned some of that of trying to sort of keep up with the Joneses, if you will, or what you think the the thought you know what what the Joneses are doing with their family. Um, has that been a struggle in your life? And like, how have you sort of, as you grow older and your children grow, how have you really come into your fatherhood and really started to to try to live that in the way that God calls us to live it? Yeah, certainly, certainly trying to keep up with the Joneses in the, in the sense of like spirituality and fatherhood and, and husbandry, like all those sorts of things, more than the financial things, which I never really had a shot at. So I guess I just kind of dismissed it right out of hand. But um, yeah, it wasn't easy for me when we we started having kids. I was surprised by that. I thought that because I wasn't sort of cheating on my wife or doing anything outrageous that I'd get this fatherhood thing. Like I get it. You know, I get that it's about sacrifice. I get that it's about like, it's not about having trophies. Those aren't your children. Like your children exist for you to get them to heaven and they're going to help you get them. to. I knew all of those one liner cliche things in the Catholic sort of world, but I didn't realize just how difficult it would be. And I think it had a lot to do with my own sort of woundedness and things like that. So it it wasn't easy. And I remember like, I would find it so hard, you know, just not having your own time anymore, having children screaming throughout the night, like we had some difficult kids, you know, Um, and, and just not having sleep and trying to now adjust to this new relationship I have with my wife, who's now wife and mother, you know, not just wife. She doesn't just exist for God and me. It's God, me and these kids, you know? And yeah, so that was, that was difficult. And I remember like saying to other men, like, this is hard. Right. And a lot of them just not seeming to get it, or at least a lot of them not seeming to have struggled to the depth that I had. And so they'd usually say things like, yeah, but what a blessing, you know, I mean, have these beautiful kids, you know, I'm like, Oh God, I feel so alone so alone in this like i want to be a good dad but i see my own selfishness and i i want my own freedom and yeah so it's uh coming to grips with that has been one thing 
And then another thing I think the Lord's sort of doing in my heart right now is this idea of wanting the right thing is something that we usually begin to do after our conversions to Christ, right? We want the right thing. Mm -hmm. We no longer want what's bad. We want what's good. But sure. the struggle is wanting the right thing in the right way. So like wanting the right thing. So that might be like my child to speak more respectfully or to inculcate a sort of prayer life in his or her life. But to want that in the right way, that is to say like with gentleness and with patience mm. and with understanding. And that's, that's sort of what I'm working through now, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's the difficult part, right? I mean, it's easy to say all those things and it's easy to portray that we're doing them well. But, you know, we it, fatherhood is just like anything else in life. I mean, you go through it and you're learning as you do it and you learn from your mistakes. And you're also trying to not repeat the mistakes that may have been, uh, you know, bred into you that your father or your mother made. You know, there's always the struggle with that. I can't tell you how many times, you know, when Jacob, you know, messes up or one of the girls does something wrong, I'm just something will come out of my mouth and I'm like, that's my dad. And I said, I would never do that. Right. So there's always that struggle too. And as far as selfishness, like you're talking about it, when people ask me about marriage or fatherhood, younger guys, you know, they're, that are in their 19, you know, their teens or their early twenties. And they're questioning that and starting to look at that at their life. They're like, what would you tell me about marriage? And the first thing I say is you're going to figure out exactly how selfish you are very quickly. <laughs> like, yeah. Very quickly, like those things come to light. What do you mean I can't go to the bar anymore on Tuesday nights to, to have a beer with my buddies? What do you mean? And it, it's really a yeah. growth process that you have to go yeah, through, I, and especially when those kids come along. One of Cameron and I's little hobbies or things we enjoyed doing prior to kids was to sort of potter about a little bookstore, you know, <clears throat> latte in hand and uh, sort of page through some sort of spiritual work in the religion section and nod sagely <laughs> as you imbibe this wonderful <laughs> heavenly advice about laying down one's life and this is how we live and you're like yeah amen sip sip of the latte sip <laughs> and 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 so what i realized was when i had kids it was like being force fed a thousand spiritual books in a day, you know, and <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, it's like, it's, it's one thing to, to be romantic about it. It's another thing to live it and to live it is often a lot messier than you'd like to admit, but that this is the way we get there. That's the way we yeah. get there. Well, were your parents, were they religious? I mean, did they bring you up in the faith? I mean, how did you, did you, were you always Catholic? I mean, is this something that came along later? What, what's the story with that? My mum took us to mass every week. Dad stayed home and sort of watched the football. Um, my grandma was pretty intensely Catholic, so we'd usually swing by and pick her up on the way to mass. Uh, I just found it boring. I didn't really want to go. Um, we didn't really pray outside of that. And um, towards my teenage years, I just started to sort of rebel against it. God bless my mom. I must have put her through a lot of hell. She faithfully tried to go there every week, you know, without the support of my dad. Sure. Um, but yeah, so no, I guess by the time I was like 15 or so, I, I think I had pretty much become an agnostic. I thought that prayer, people talk about prayer helping them, but that's, they also say that when they journal, you know, people journal, they sure. get their thoughts out and they feel clearer. And I mm -hmm. thought prayer was like that. It doesn't mean God exists or that he cares about you or anything, but 
but that you know you just kind of get your thoughts out orally so it's like an oral form of journal entry or something sure um but i was really interested in sort of spiritual things because i've always sort of been inclined to the more philosophical questions and so i love poetry and i started to get into sort of new age cassette tapes and meditation and things like that that a friend of mine had but whenever there was like a word that was religious i remember it really turning me off you know like heaven sure. even if they didn't mean it in a christian sense and i was just kind of being turned off by that but i was very much open to some sort of spirituality that didn't have a sort of uh moral component i suppose you'd say hmm. but that changed and i won't belabor the point because i think a lot of people know this but that changed when i was 17 years old and went to world youth day in rome italy and i had a conversion to christ and came back a ragingly joyful catholic <laughs> yeah well was it was it something particularly that day that happened i mean was it something somebody said was it a a speech someone gave was it being around all the other youth i mean what what was the you think was the the point for you where it kind of clicked uh, yeah, probably all of the above. Uh, it was about a two-week journey, and I'd never been outside of Australia, and I uh, was suddenly surrounded by young Catholic Christians who believed this stuff. I just figured they would be people like me whose mum or dad talked them into going. I actually had never encountered someone, you know, 17, 18, in their early 20s, who really believed this stuff and who wasn't sort of weird. They weren't sort of... There was nothing wrong with them. They weren't socially awkward or something. They were just yeah. lovely people who loved Jesus Christ and had reasons for why they believed these sorts of things. And that was a real eye-opener to me. And so I began asking a lot of questions. And I encountered their joy. It was that there was a thickness to it. It wasn't just sort of like a glib sarcasm that me and my friends exhibited. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I really began to pray, Lord, if you exist, if this isn't just a fairy tale to make us feel better about death, it'd be really nice if you'd reveal yourself to me in a way I would understand. And there was several sort of prayer experiences where I felt the presence and love of God, and it moved me to great uh, repentance and weeping and hmm. joyful weeping. And um yeah, I sort of just sort of came home and the way I described it, and I think a lot of people who are converts, they understand this. It was almost like there was another sense, you know, akin to sight that I didn't know about and none of my friends knew about. And all of a sudden I, I it, it sort of opened quote unquote. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just seeing the world in a different way and tried to explain and, and convince my friends of it and, kind of freaked a lot of people out actually and turned some of my friends off of me and stuff like that but <laughs> yeah. what did I care I had the god of the universe who loved me and I knew that so I wasn't terribly concerned with it yeah but, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about there I mean that's you're exactly right it is like a a window's been opened that you didn't ever know was there before I mean I had that same feeling in jail when when he came back uh, well when, when I came back to him I guess you could say you know when he had the door open always but when I finally got it out of my thick head to quit running away from him and, and embrace him. But, um, you know, you mentioned a couple things in there. You said, you know, deep repentance earlier. You said uh, one of the reasons that uh, you struggle with, with the faith was uh, the morality part of it. What were you going through in your life then that, that maybe kept you away from those things? Were you struggling with anything in particular, like certain sins or things like that that were 
really kind of maybe making you turn away from the faith in that regard? Yeah, those. I mean, it was a host of things. I think we all like to make excuses for the sins we don't want to let go of. We all want to justify <clears throat> those behaviors we have no intention of letting go of. Um, so there was like, I think, yeah, a deep selfishness and a, a, um, a self-hatred and pride and lust, you know, uh, had been fornicating with a particular girl and I remember once saying to her, if, if you get pregnant, you'll just get an abortion, right? You know, just that mm. kind of mentality. Um, pornography, um, thievery, yeah. <laughs> like I would steal things and, you know, just all sorts of stuff like that. And, uh, sure. yeah, like I, rem I remember prior to this conversion being like, well, okay, like heaven and God, and so that's cool, that's cool. But just being really turned off by the idea that I'd have to give up some of this stuff. But what ends up happening is when you encounter the beauty of God, the ugliness of sin reveals itself as well. And you actually find that it's a little easier to give it up than you first thought. You know, it's just like, yeah, sure. oh, that's I see it for what it is. And that's really un yuck. Yuck. I don't I don't want that anymore. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I know one thing you mentioned, lust, and, and I know you've spent a lot of your time over the last probably, what, 20 years traveling the world, speaking about pornography and, and just helping people in many ways through the Strive program. You know, I had the blessing of helping a little bit with that yeah. at Cardinal Studios, you know, when you, when you first came out with that. And I know it's a big help with Covenant Eyes and some of the other places there. I know you've written The Porn Myth. You've done a book mm -hmm. with Jason Everett uh, called Forged. I mean, you've just done so much with it. Um, what This is something that men struggle with. Obviously, you know that, you know, as well as anybody. But it's always a common thing. Whenever I put something out to the listeners or anything like that, what are you dealing with? It's like porn, 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 anger, porn, porn, uh, you know, pride, porn, porn, porn. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, obviously you said you struggled. What sort of helped you turn that corner and really helped you kind of launch this, uh, your, your ministry to help people that are struggling with it? Well, I think the healing continues and deepens. And to me, I think there's been like two primary sort of stepping stones in my wanting to turn away from pornography. And I think they're common to all of us. I think what happens when a Catholic man decides or a Christian Protestant man decides that he wants to stop looking at porn, it's, it's like he understands generally now why pornography is evil in a way that he didn't before. So before he would say things like, well, she's willing to do it and I'm willing to watch. No one's being hurt. And so long as that's the case, then that's all right. Sure. Or, you know, if I look at this from time to time, it's not interfering with my life. Like, then that's okay. You know, there's certain excuses that one makes to justify this behavior. But there comes a time, I think, uh, in a man's life who's serious about the Christian faith and he starts to realize, oh, wow, this, this is turning people who have been created in the image and likeness of God into sort of two-dimensional objects for my consumption. And we, we probably shouldn't be treating people like, you know, a pack of cigarettes or a steak or a can of beer. You know, they're not things to be had. Uh, and this is sort of, it does violence to the person when you, when you treat them merely as a means to an end, especially in this most intimate of realms, that of human sexuality. You know, this, this is, this is wrong. And, and we, 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 it's like we have this kind of head conversion, mm -hmm. but I still think that's where a lot of guys are. So they're convinced that porn's wrong. 
they're convinced they shouldn't be doing it but it's not enough and they, they we kind of hope that that head conversion sort of uh will be enough to 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 get us over this and it's not and i think what has to happen similar in our relationship with jesus christ right we have to bring the personal into it like when you read, read the psalms you know and it says things like you know my lord is a he is a refuge you know he is a, a tower of refuge and strength of my very present help in time of need he is my shield right but but what does that mean to you personally like matt frad or john edwards like you're like okay well what does that mean like I'm, i have to bring my anxieties right first peter 5 7 says cast all your anxieties so i got to get personal here i can't just have these vague concepts of like fear and not being enough like it has to be really real you know where you're like ah lord i i bring to you my fear of being repugnant my fear of being broken some somewhere beneath the surface this fear that other people can spot it and they can just smell it on me just this insecurity lord that i have this this fear that you don't like me that you love me but you don't like me you don't delight in me like you got to get that real you know i think that's what our protestant brothers and sisters mean when they talk about a personal relationship with christ it's not enough to have that intellectual conversion we have to kind of enter into it and okay so i think with pornography what the, that second step is is it's like i got to bring my own stuff into this into the light of christ's grace and have it be transformed so like for me realizing what is it that I'm seeking? Like, why is it that I'm even that I want to go to pornography? What is, what is, the, what is the kind of pornography I, I even look at? There's like mm -hmm. a vast canopy of pornography. Why do I always go to this and that kind of pornography? What is it that I'm after? What is this sort of trying to fix in me? You know? Yeah. And again, I think a man has to be very real about that. And so I think for me, like at a young age, I bought. I, I, I agreed with the devil. I made certain agreements with him about who I was. I'm ugly. I'm, I'm weak, you know, and I'm annoying. But those would be a few mm. kind of real firm agreements that, that I, I sort of made as a young kid. Okay, so you think about that. Okay, so if I'm ugly and annoying and not a delight to people, you know, and I'm weak. Okay, so then it would make sense that all of a sudden I start to see whenever I go to pornography, I, I'm, I'm maybe seeing sort the sorts of pornography. You got to offer a disclaimer at the beginning of this, John, I don't want to trigger anybody, sure. but sure. I, I'm, I mean, I'm engaging in the sorts of pornography that would make me feel strong and wanted and, and to be, and as a delight, you know? And so once you start seeing that, okay, this is what it's trying to answer. This is why I keep going back to this. Um, and then you turn to the Lord to answer those deep needs. That's been a j journey that's ongoing for me. And the further I go into it, the more freedom I find. And it's not a freedom that can be manufactured or uh, it's not artificial. I know it to be true. And glory to Jesus Christ. So, I, yeah, I think, you know, if someone's struggling with pornography out there, that, that's why I'm a big proponent of finding a good therapist you know, and doing the work of inner healing, because that's, that's been, at least for me personally, and those I know, who've really found a good degree of freedom over this, that's it. It's not enough to white knuckle it and to know the intellectually that this is wrong and that you shouldn't be doing it. If it was, then 
most Catholic men wouldn't be doing this stuff. Sure. And it's important to find some people in your life, too. I mean, I know you talk about that, like accountability. You know, I know that's one thing when we had our, you know, started our men's group years ago, there were guys that would start talking about confession and we'd say, well, why don't you want to go? And, well, I'm tired of telling the priest the same thing. And it would always, you know, most of the time be, you know, talking about masturbation or something like that or pornography. And, you know, a lot of guys, they just, they, it's almost like the devil has a way of convincing you you're the only one with a problem, right? You're the only alcoholic. You're the only guy that struggles with porn. You're the only you know person that deals with this sin and sort of isolates us. And one of the things that I found really helpful, because I struggled with pornography too, was was just finding out that other guys really had the same issue and then going with them and saying, hey, do you want to try to go through this together? Do you want to try to walk together in it? You know, and, and, and I need someone there in my life I can call on, almost like somebody that's, you know, an alcoholic that's going to pull in a bar on the way home. And before they order that stiff drink, they call somebody and say, hey, I'm at a bar and I need to talk to you. You know, that sort of deal where you've got that accountability in your life. Was that something that was that you had to have in your life and something that you found helpful too? Was was someone you could be held accountable with? Yeah, yeah. The, I had to stop being real about where I was at as opposed to where I wanted to be. You know, sometimes those things are night and day. Where is it that I want to be? How is it I want to be yeah. perceived? And then how am I actually? So sort of bringing people into the actually part is uh, a very important thing to do. And one of the reasons it's important is because you're lovable even there. Hmm. So to the bloke who's watching this, who, you know, just spent last night on a bender and ended up masturbating to pornography, like you're lovable there. And um, one of the things that accountability relationships do is is reveal that to you. You know that, <clears throat> you know they there's someone there in your life who's not terribly impressed by your sin. In fact, your sin is the least interesting thing about you, actually. You know, yeah. but it's funny in our in our tabloid culture we make it the most interesting. It's not. It's the most boring thing about you. Like it's really not interesting. Um, but you know, you bring someone into that and that that's that's a very helpful thing to do um and i think it's important not just to talk about how we fall but how we want to grow as men and what are some goals we want to reach and how we'd like to start eating and how we'd start to like moving exercising perhaps how we'd like to start engaging with our friends and family and those sorts of things can be brought into that accountable accountability relationship it's not just did you fall oh yes i did you know it's it's more like how are you doing like how is your life sure. good and beautiful you know yeah well and people that can help you too like you said you need a therapist and things like that at some point you know one of the, my favorite people is dr bob shoots and i know you know dr bob and one of the things that's helped me with a lot of different sins in my life is just understanding that those come from previous wounds and that you know when we're when we are engaging in pornography or we're acting out in other ways that it's really uh, a symptom of something else and I mean, have you looked into, have you spent a lot of time doing that? Like talking to people about, look, what's, what's behind this, what's causing it? Where do you think this is coming from? Because I think a lot of people, it really is like that diagram of the tree that he has in his book where we walk up and we grab that apple off the tree and take it in and we hand it to, you know, the, our priest in the confessional and say, here, here I am again with this, but we're not really getting down to the deeper issues of why we continue to do it. And I think that's where most men stay is they're like, I'm doing this. I don't really know why. And then we start to justify it and other people do it and all of those things instead of 
really dialing into why why is this an issue in my life and where is it coming from? Yeah, that's and that's what I was referencing when I talked about um, what is it I'm what is it this is trying to fix in me? You know, what am I trying yeah. to medicate? So that's that second step. So it's one thing mm -hmm. to know porn's wrong and I shouldn't be looking at it. It's another reason. It's another step to realize, but I bloody well do want to look at it. And what is it? I, what I, what is it? I'm trying to get from this thing that after the sort of pseudo consummation, the false consummation that occurs, I'm aware that it didn't give it to me in a sense, you know, it's like, it's shameful. It's gross. I don't want to do this. And that's, yeah, that's where, that's where I think realizing that we're turning this to this thing for different reasons. Some, someone said, when we run from our shame, we legitimize its claims against us. Mm. And so there's something to be said about sort of just acknowledging what it is we're seeking and why it is we're going there. And, and that's a hard thing, man, because a lot of this takes deep work with someone who can pray with you and love you and go into those places where you have sort of made agreements when you were young about who you are and what you're about. Let me just say something kind about Bob Schutz. I always like to sure. speak kindly behind people's backs when nobody knows about the good <laughs> things they do. Um, sure. So I'd moved here to Steubenville back in January. And as soon as we arrived, we it was the middle of winter. My children were all trying to process the move. My wife was incredibly sick. We didn't know why. She was hospitalized twice, two week-long visits. It was very serious. I was in a really bad place. And Bob was writing to me asking me if I'd read a book of his to endorse it. And I said to him, Bob, all I want to do is smoke pot and listen to Radiohead. Like that's, that's, that's all I want to do. Yeah. Uh, so how I was doing. I'm like, that, that's how I'm doing. Like, not great. And he yeah. said, can we pray? I said, yes. And so we met that week over Zoom for an hour to pray. And then we did it again. And then we did it the next week. And we've been doing it ever since. It's been about a year. Um, mm. And about the third or fourth week in, realizing that I wanted this to continue, and also that his time is valuable, you know, I wanted to yeah. offer him money, but in a way that he'd accept it. You know, if I was just like, hey, can I pay you for this stuff? Like, no, I wanted to say this in a way that he'd accept it. And so he'd keep doing this. So I said, mm -hmm. Bob, has been terrific. I really got a lot out of this. I was thinking I should be probably seeing a therapist anyway. So I was wondering if maybe if I could uh, give your organization a donation or if I could please start supporting you paying, you know, paying you. Like that. And he said, no, no, that's, mm. no, that's not what it's about. I, I want to, I think we need to pray together. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> what a guy, what a guy, Dr. Bob shoots. Good, good, yeah. holy man. He's also great help in my own life. Yeah, he has been for me too. Angel and I went through a spat a couple of uh, months ago Sorry. where we were Something just. Something has come undone in some horrible way. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> can you hear me? Dear. Okay. I think I can hear you now. Sorry. You can hear me now? Can you hear me? Okay. No, I was just saying that Dr. Uh, Dr. Bob, he's helped me a lot too. You know, I met him through some of the conference stuff we were doing and. Angel and I had gone through a spat where uh, a lot of it was my fault. Uh, you know, I was just being real selfish and falling back into some previous tendencies. And, and uh, I called Dr. Bob and I said, I just, you know, I'm really kind of, 
in a bad spot right now and I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, you know what? We're having a marriage conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I will pay for your wife and you to come there if you can come. Now, we couldn't go because it was like a day away and we just couldn't find flights and all those things. But but he told me, he said, John, anytime, you know, I'd be glad to talk to both of you and all those things. So he is one of the most yeah. genuine people I think I've ever met as far as yeah. like he's in ministry to help people and he's not worried about anything yeah. else. And and that's what I told him. I said, I feel like such a hypocrite because here I am, you know, with a podcast, all these things, talking to men about being better men. And yet I'm failing in this area with my wife. And he said, John, what do you think it feels like when you're a marriage therapist and your marriage is failing? He said, mm-hmm. because that's what I've gone through in my life. And I just was like, mm-hmm. wow. You know, and so, yeah, he's a blessing for sure. Well, Matt, I want to I want to talk about a couple other things here, you know, just real quickly before uh, we depart here. But as far as men in the church today, and, and as you know, the church is in a crazy place. Like I, I'm reading Ralph Martin's A Crisis in the Church right now, and it's just he's, yeah. he's so dead on with so many things he's saying. And, and when I look at our faith and where it is, what I see a gaping hole is, is just men not standing up and, and living the faith the way they're called to. We're either enamored with the world and, and the things that it puts in front of us, money, fame, power, achievement, uh, selfishness, all of those things. Where do you see, uh, what do you see with men right now and what we need from men in the church? Because I know you talk to all of these great folks all the time. And my opinion is we need more men to stand up. But what do you think about that and where the some of the issues lie in the church right now? It'd be weird if I was like, no, I don't think we need more men to stand up. We're <laughs> That's good. right. No, we're good. We uh, have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I, I do see men sort of desiring a life of greater Christian authenticity. I see that in movements like Exodus 90, where for 90 days you act like a maniac and give up things that make you happy like, candy and alcohol <laughs> that's right hot showers you know, like I, yeah like there are men who are doing that there are, you know there's a real desire like please take me seriously you know i, I really want to do this well so mm-hmm. i think we just need to tap into that i think that is being tapped into while at the same time reminding ourselves that we have a merciful god um you know i don't know i think those two things together because it can be easy to see the chaos in the church, the chaos in your own heart, to courageously decide to be better, and then to hate yourself when you see that you're not. Yeah. So I think we need to both sort of, yeah, stand up and, and realize that we stand up sort of under this great king who is more merciful than we are wretched. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can't overstate our own wretchedness, but we also can't overstate his great mercy which is attracted to our wretchedness um, which chose to suffer and die to open heaven under our feet um, so we have a good and gracious king who loves us individually and and yeah who's 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 calling us calling us to be dissatisfied with what the world would give us and calling us into a deeper life of prayer so it's exciting it's an exciting time yeah, we have to remember we don't have a God that's disgusted by us. I think that's one thing we do is we, we're we disgusted by ourselves and we think he must be too. And, you know, I, that's you and I talked about it on your show, but just the, the prodigal son where that guy, the son comes back and he's covering the pig dung and the and the slop and all this stuff and the father doesn't reject him. He goes right to him in and, and his finest robes and all those things. And, 
you know, mm. doesn't ask him to go hose off or anything first. You know, he he just gives I him totally his will. best of everything. <laughs> I would have too. I'm like, I can't see God like this. Let me shower up real quick. But no, it, yeah. it, it's just, a, it's something I think we all forget as men. And so Matt, like I, I appreciate, first of all, your friendship, you know, and, and just, uh, it's been a joy to get to know you and to get to spend time with you. And I really appreciate you coming on here because so many guys, um, they write in and they tell me, man, I listen to Pints. I listen to your show. I, I found it through there. So thank you for all of that. And for what yeah, you've done, great. man, just all these years for, for all the people that you've, you know, spoken in front of and, and just written books for and all of that. Thank you for all your contributions to the church. And um, I just, I really value your friendship and thank you for coming on here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, guys, we're going to end this interview here, but if you are a member of the Just a Guy in the Pew community, Matt and I are going to jump over there for a few minutes and we're going to record another session there. We're going to be talking about, you know, five things or six things that Matt can tell you if you're dealing with porn and how to start uh, the stopping process of that and the healing that's necessary. So Matt, again, thank you for joining us and guys, you can become a member at just a guy in the go up to join the community and click there and you'll be able to see all of the interviews and extra bits that we've done like this before. So again, thank you for your time, Matt. Love you, brother. And I'll see you real soon. Thanks.